Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. I have found it really hard to watch um, and really hard to read about. I'm talking about the trial of Lucy Letby in the UK. This week, the former neonatal nurse from Hereford was sentenced to spend the rest of her life in prison after being found guilty of murdering seven infants and attempting to murder six others. It's just, even reading that is chilling. It's horrific. Um, But there's many layers of complications to this case. So we really want to hear from someone who's been following it carefully. And joining me on the line now is Caroline Cheatham. She's a lecturer of journalism in the University of Salford in the UK. And together with her co-host, Liz Hull, the two have been following this story on their incredible podcast, The Trial of Lucy Letby. This podcast um, is really popular in both Ireland and Australia and the UK. Before I chat to um, Caroline, I just wanted to put a word of warning here. The content we're going to talk about now is distressing, um, so it may be upsetting for some, and if there's little ears around, this is not something that they're going to want to listen to. Um, Caroline, I just wanted to say... Welcome to the show and thank you for the massive effort that you put into making this podcast. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That's, uh, that's incredibly kind of you. It's been, um, it's been a long year, actually, covering this case on the podcast, but actually, you know, seeing the culmination this week and I think our listeners have really appreciated this sort of in-depth reporting and it's, it's really difficult, but it, it's also been a real privilege to cover something like this and, and do do it justice journalistically. We are going to talk about the case in a minute, but you, you said it there, you've been covering it for almost like the guts of a year. Mm. What impact does that have on you? Because it is like, this is a very chilling case. Yeah, I mean, I think um, my colleague Liz, uh, my co-host Liz Hull has been in court every single day. She's been in the main court every single day. I'm, I've been dipping in and out. I have, as you said, I have a a job as a lecturer at the University of Salford as well. So um, I've been dipping in and out. And the way we've been doing it is um, we just do a, an episode. Well, we've been doing an episode every week. So any yeah. single, any update that we get, we cover it every single Monday. We release an episode about five o'clock. Um, it, listen, the trial has been really difficult. But actually, um, the way it was put across to the jury was quite forensic, quite scientific, quite medical. And actually, at times, quite dry. So our job was to make it make sense to normal people at home. Yeah. Um, you probably know the way we often cover, cover court cases is we pop in at the beginning, hear the prosecution, hear a bit of the defence, and then we come back at the end. And I think in that way, and this is no criticism of any court reporters because the ones who are left are amazing, um, we sort of end up you know, doing the sort of big moments, the sort of sensationalised moments, if you like, What's been gratifying, I suppose, about this case and that our listeners have been getting in touch to say that they appreciate is the fact that it's been really measured um, and really sort of fair and balanced all the way through. I think that in terms of, you know, the emotional impact of it, the way, as I said, it was done was quite scientific and medical until yesterday when we... Um, the absolute raw human tragedy was just laid bare with the uh, victim impact statements of the parents. Before we talk about that, can we go Mm. back to the very beginning? Because, you know, some people may not know about this trial. They may be hearing about it, you know, for the first time yesterday when the verdict came down. 
Mm. What? Who is Lucy Letby? Right. What happened? Right, yeah, let me walk you back a bit. So yeah. this all started in 2015. Um, the crimes that we now know were crimes took place between 2015 and 2016, over a year between June 2015 and June to July 2016. Um, what was happening um, at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England was that um, on the neonatal unit, there seemed to be a spike in the number of babies collapsing and dying. Um, for example, this hospital had a mortality rate of about three babies a year. In the space of three weeks between June and July 2015, they had three deaths. So, you know, immediately there was concern that that was a high number. Yeah. But added, added to that, the, some of these babies were collapsing and then dying unexpectedly. And I think just to sort of give a bit of context to this neonatal unit, um, not many babies go in there and are treated there and don't come home. Most of them come home. They're born prematurely. And yes, they're fragile. And yes, mm -hmm. they need help. But they're not. They're not, uh, you know, on the edge of life, most of these babies. They come home, and if they collapse, and if they are, you know, uh, close to death, the doctors tend to know. So the problem in this case was that it was so unexpected. Yeah. And this particular nurse appeared to be on duty every time. Lucy Letty was a nurse, a band seven nurse on the neonatal unit, um, and she appeared to be on duty Sort of often, she was, she was always around. Her presence was always there. And had anyone um, noticed? Had anyone noticed, Caroline? Well, uh, so very early on, um, the um, man who led the, the, the ward, if you like, the unit, Stephen Breary, the consultant, yeah. had noticed. It was described as an association initially. They couldn't find a medical reason for any of these babies collapsing. They couldn't find an infection on the ward that would, that would explain it. So then it was down to, well, okay, well, who's on staff? Mm -hmm. And she was on every single time. Um, so what was happening was she would, uh, you know, families would go for something to eat or asleep and she'd be alone with the baby. He or she would collapse. Um, a nurse who was looking after that baby would go on a break. Lucy Letby would come and cover. The baby would collapse. Um, it just it became a, a, a persistent pattern. And the real tragedy about this case um, was that the consultants were raising concerns quite early. You know, from October 2015, they were going to managers and saying, we're really worried about what's happening on our ward. This person seems to be around. N no allegations at that point, but mm -hmm. just this association, they called it. We need some help. And... Nothing was done. Um, in February 2016, they went again and said, look, we are now really concerned. More babies are collapsing. More babies are dying. Again, nothing was done. It was June 2016, and after the deaths of two of three triplets, the day after each other, that she was finally removed from the ward. And I've got to say, at that point, the consultant said to one of the managers, if she comes back, it's on your conscience. And what are the hospitals saying? And what are the hospitals well, saying? 
Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're not hearing very much from the hospital in terms of... Uh, we've heard from the from the, the new managers at the hospital. Uh, they came out and, and talked um, after the verdicts and said, look, you know, it's a different management team. We've learned lessons from what happened back then in 2015, 2016. We do things differently now. Um, but obviously what the families and the questions that are now arising is that there were managers there at the time. Um, some of those managers have retired. Mm-hmm. Some are still working in the NHS, um, you know, and in different roles. And I think there's a there's a very strong feeling um, across, um, well, actually, I was going to say across the UK, across the world, I think now, um, that these managers need to be accountable. And we heard from, the, the as I said, that the ward, the, the, the lead consultant on the ward, Stephen Brewer, this morning, who did say that it seems to him that doctors and nurses are accountable to the regulatory body, the GMC, managers are not. And in this particular case, the consultants were asking for help. And in fact, not only were they not getting it, but also by the end, um, they made, the managers made the consultants apologise to Lucy Letby. The managers said, we're going to bring her back onto the war. This is a year later. We're going to bring her back onto the ward. We can't find that she's done anything wrong. Oh, my god! Uh, we're going to bring her back, and you must all write a letter of apology. And they had to write that letter of apology. <sighs> and the only reason that she wasn't put back on the ward was because the police were then called in. So why did that happen? Like, th- this is the part where I'm just going, how did they manage yeah. to catch her? Well, in, well, the, the investigation was... So, so what happened was, in the end, um, the managers were forced to write a letter to Cheshire Police to say, the consultants have got these, these concerns. You know, we think we need to escalate now to you. Mm-hmm. This is now 2017, though. This is, a, this is another year Gosh. later. Yeah. Um, if you follow the timeline. Um, and they took a year to pull things together before they then arrested Lucy Letby. And that was 2018. And in that year, what they did was they pieced together every single shift where a baby had collapsed or there were suspicions or there were concerns. They pieced together the swipe data, the computerized nursing notes, the handwritten nursing notes, the recollections of staff on the ward that day and all of it. And they built this sort of enormous jigsaw puzzle, if you like, the most complicated forensic um, investigation that pointed to her. Um, there was no one had, we, we called it no, what, there was no smoking gun. No one had seen her do anything. But she was a nurse yeah. working on a ward. If you've got a nurse injecting into a line, who's going to query that? Yeah. Um, she used, the weapons that she used were air and milk and saline. You know, there was nothing that we could see. There was she was operating. She was killing in plain sight. Um, when they arrested her, um, they then found, uh, you know, I suppose a treasure trove of notes and medical records from the hospital and pages and pages and pages of of incriminatory evidence. I just and has she ever admitted guilt? No, no. So she she was arrested three times, 2018, 2019, 2020. Yeah. Um, and every single time of arrest, she cooperated. She spoke. 
she was, you know, polite, she cooperated, she wasn't obstructive. Um, I think now we've, we've spoken to one of the officers, well, the main officer who, who actually questioned her for over 20 hours. And um, her view was that she was cooperating because she wanted to know what the police had on her. So by answering questions, her view was they'd give her more information. Um, of course, you know, that, that didn't happen. Um, and the, what we had in the end was, you know, circumstantial evidence, unbelievable amounts of circumstantial evidence, which the jury deemed to be enough. Well, and has a psychological assessment ever been made on on Lucy? Because we all, we we can't help it. We all just go, why? What makes someone who goes into such a caring profession do this? Well, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? The the why, the lack of knowing why. Um, She was assessed in order to, for the court to know whether she was fit to be in the trial and Mm -hmm. fit to plead. And she was deemed to be fit. So she was deemed to, to be fit to stand trial and to uh, put in her um, you know, guilt or innocence and to stand trial and give evidence, of course, which she did, um, and face the trial. Um, I'm not aware of another assessment that's been done. I'm not aware of any psychological problems. What she said that she did have was PTSD mm-hmm. um, brought about from the arrest in 2018 that you know she was so traumatized by that arrest it caused PTSD actually what we witnessed was the most controlled the most composed um you know frightening really how normal this I mean you'll you'll have seen the pictures Serena the most normal um human that you could the girl next door, actually, and in fact, in our episode that we released yesterday, we called her the vanilla killer because someone described her to me in court as vanilla. And that's exactly how she comes across. But then dig down a bit and this composure, you know, to be arrested, to never be in trouble with the police before in your whole life. Yeah. And then to be arrested for murder and to literally just be composed. I mean, I'd be flipping tables and shouting and could you imagine? And Completely. Especially if I hadn't done it. Yeah. So, so no, the, the why is the one thing we really, really don't know. But then yesterday, um, we we're all talking about this again because yesterday finally sentencing happened. Um, what has the sentence been? What was she charged for? Um, what was the sentence and is life really life? Well, so uh, I'll unpick that a little bit. So she was yeah. facing 22 charges in total, mm-hmm. um, seven of murder, uh, 10 of attempted murder, um, and the rest of attempted murder. Um, and she was found guilty of seven charges of murder, seven charges of attempted murder um, against six babies, the attempted murder. She tried to kill one of those babies twice. Mm-hmm. Um she was found not guilty of two attempted murders and the jury couldn't reach um, their verdicts on six further charges. What happened in court on yesterday was that the judge sentenced her not just to one whole life term, but to a whole life term on every count. And I've never, ever known anyone sentenced to a whole life term for attempted murder before. Um, I mean, I, my understanding is this is the harshest sentence since the last death penalty was issued 
in this country. Um, so he, he, he sentenced her to a, a whole life for every single count. Um, so yes, to answer your direct question, it absolutely does mean life. No chance for parole at all. No. Yeah. So the, the early release scheme... Um, which is operational in the UK, he has already said she is not eligible for and never will be. But Caroline, she's still continuing to hurt those poor families who were sitting in that court yesterday. She didn't turn up to her sentencing. No, no. so um, so the verdict, the final verdicts that we heard were, were last Friday. Yeah. Um, and the jury had been coming back sort of piecemeal. We weren't allowed to report anything until Friday, but they okay. had been coming back with verdicts before that. The, the last time we saw her in court was the Wednesday before. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that Wednesday, um, she, uh, after that, refused to come back into the court. And as you say, that, that, was, that position was maintained on Monday for the sentence. Um, you know, there's been lots of debate about how should we deal with that. And, you know, the, you know so many messages to our email on the, on the podcast and to our Twitter and et cetera, saying you shouldn't be allowed, drag her up, kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. And all of that. I mean, I'm so torn on this one because um, imagine, you know, that the sentencing day, the sentencing morning was about the families being able to have their moment to say to the court, a packed, packed court, a packed public gallery, a packed annex where 60 members of the press were sitting, exactly what they've been through. And if you've got a prisoner, a defendant in the dock causing a fuss, Mm-hmm. you know, disrupting the court. I can't imagine how that would have been for them. So you'd almost think, you know, would you rather her not be there than disrespect that moment? I think there are other options. I heard Robert Buckland talking about, you know, if she's sitting in a cell underneath the court, which she was. Mm-hmm. She was at the court building. She just wouldn't come up. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all been watching it on a TV screen. Put a TV screen in there and, and make sure that she has to watch it. Yeah. Um, or listen to it. Make sure there's no hiding place. Um, at least then, you know, she isn't disrupting and disrespecting the families that she's caused so much pain to. And But she's hearing what they've got to say. I'll add, actually, the judge did order that his comments and all of the victim impact statements should be given to her you know, your guess is as good as mine about whether she'll read them. I was going to say, it doesn't ne- just because they're given to her doesn't necessarily mean that she will read them. And I never actually thought of it the way that you just put it then, because my mm. gut was she should be in that dock. And I'm sure a lot of people were thinking the same. How yeah. dare she not give the families the opportunity to say to her what they need to say to her? Because a lot of all those families have been impacted. Some no longer have their children with them. Mm-hmm. Some still have their children with them and they continue. Like, there's how are this is a really stupid question, but how are the families? Um, it's not a stupid question at all because they're amazing, utterly, utterly amazing, dignified, composed, heartbroken, you mm-hmm. know. Um, we we heard a range of, of stories um, yesterday. Um, uh, we, we we did voice them all up in our in our podcast actually because they were so powerful. I didn't want to cut them. Yeah. Um, so we heard about people being driven to uh, alcohol, people losing their jobs, um, people contemplating suicide, mums um, and dads saying, "I can't have more children because what if something happens to them." 
mum saying, if, if I take my son daughter to the doctor, I don't leave them on their own. I can't leave them on their own with a medical professional. Lot, every one of them talked about massive trust issues. How do you trust um, again after that? Well, it, you know, these babies were in the place they mm-hmm. should have been the safest. And, you know, the thing that's just so, so macabre is she made friends with these parents. You know, she went, she was over the top, you know, sending them cards and um, being there sort of in their ear. Did she, uh, not, being... did she not dress one of the children who passed? So she dressed the twins, the, the two of the three triplets at the end, baby O and baby P. Um, yeah, she dressed them in matching blue outfits. Um, and took them to their parents. Uh, she also, um, we found this out in the victim impact statement, and I think this is what, what broke most of us, that one of the parents of um, the baby had, uh, when the baby had died, she'd had, uh, you know, the hand and footprints were taken, and she'd had them made into a pendant. And she always wore the pendant because it made her feel close to her son. Yeah. Um, then she found out... Uh, when when Lucy Letby was arrested, she realised that it was Lucy Letby who had taken those hand and footprints. So she could no longer wear the pendant um, because it was so tainted yeah. by her. I mean, she did say, actually, she started to wear it again because it, it, it signified now justice rather than evil, which I thought was incredible. Um, another parent of another baby said that, um, and this again is... is tough to listen to um she her baby was buried in a shawl and the shawl had been chosen by lucy letby um and she said she was just haunted by that because you know her son is buried in the shawl that her the killer chose for him and and that that haunts her so we heard all these details that in the trial, you see, in that cold forensic trial, which, if we're being fair, is what convicted her. The way it was done, the forensic nature of it is what has convicted her and got to justice. Um, but, of course, none of this was relevant to that, if you like. So we didn't hear most of this until yesterday. Um, and it just did lay bare for everyone, the absolute human tragedy absolute tragedy on yeah. every level unthinkable on every level that this could happen for so long and you possibly you possibly know that um what we learned in the trial was that nothing really happened in june 2015 that made lucy letby suddenly start to behave in this way there's no evidence for anything that you know sparked it or started it not that i think there's anything that could so the police are going back to 2011 to when she started her nursing career. Okay. And they have told us on the podcast that um, that is a lot of babies that they are now going to have a look at. They're calling it a medical review. They're saying people don't need to worry and panic if mm-hmm. parents they think have, if babies have been impacted over that those, that period. Parents will already be aware. Yeah. But it is you know it's every baby who's ever come into contact with Lucy Letby, and that is. Over 4,000. That, that is just, that is frightening. Um, we know what's happened to Lucy Letby. 
how are things going to change? Because there, there does need to be change in the health system. And there is, I, I, we briefly mentioned it there, but, you know, they are talking about whether or not people on trial do need to be in court when the victim um, impact statements are read out. So what impact does this case have on the legal system and on the healthcare system in the UK? Well, so two separate points, I suppose, there. One on one on defendants in court. Um, yes, the Home Office are definitely looking at a change in the law. We were told that the day before um, the verdicts, actually, in the sentencing, we got that back. Um, the problem they've got is that if you're Lucy Letby or Thomas Cashman, or some, well, not Thomas Cashman, actually, because he didn't get a whole life term, but mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a defendant who gets a whole life term, what more can they do? What You've got more nothing can to they lose. add on to your sentence? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what the what the consequence could be in our country. If you're getting a whole life term, there's nothing else that, that you could do. And if you're getting a 40-year tariff, would an extra couple of years for not coming into court make that much difference to you? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's a tricky one, and I'd be interested to know what they do decide to do, because I know they're looking at it, and I don't know that there's, a, there's an easy answer. Um, I don't I don't think with a type of, you know, country that would bring someone into a dock kicking and screaming by force. I can imagine yep. prison guards would not want to be involved in something like that. But, you know, uh, those decisions are currently being discussed behind the scenes. Um, big, big questions around the hospital, though. We obviously know now there will be an inquiry. Um, now, what we've been told so far is that it's a non-statutory inquiry. Now, what that means is that um, it's a bit quicker than a statutory inquiry, but um, they're not always in public and um, witnesses cannot be compelled to appear. So, um, you know, the, the, the four consultants who were named in court have all issued statements to say they would cooperate with any inquiry. So mm-hmm. they've already said that. Um, but one of the, we spoke to a lawyer today on the podcast and they were saying to us that um, the problem with a non-statutory is that it's not just witnesses appearing, it's documents. They can't compel documents and emails and, and, and conversations and, and things in writing to be, uh, you know, that can't be compelled to be used either as part of the inquiry. So certainly um, the consultants on the ward and the parents want this to be a statutory inquiry so that witnesses and documents can be compelled to be part of it. Yeah. I've no idea whether the government will change their mind. I would say that doesn't seem likely as they announced this inquiry within a day of us knowing the verdict. So we wait to see whether these people who were named in court and have been criticised as part of the process mm-hmm. will cooperate with that inquiry. And what about the podcast, The Trial of Lucy Letby? Is the final episode done or will you still be following what happens in this case? Yeah, no, great question, actually. No, we're still going strong, actually. Um, We've just got, to be honest, Trina, we've got so much content that um, we want to bring people. Uh, We've we've made a a few more episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will certainly follow any inquiry that's to come. But I think we're still going strong for a couple of weeks. And Caroline, what are you going to do for you? Because as I said, it's been a it's been tough for everyone, but you've been really involved in this case. 
Yeah, no, I have. Do you know, my students at Salford are about to return and I adore my job as a lecturer. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait to see them. You you may not be aware that a lot of my students have been involved in the podcast. They've been involved in helping too. Yeah, they've been amazing. They've been involved in some of the voiceover work. They've been involved in some of the production work. They've been amazing. They are my biggest fans. So I I love my students at Salford. (laughs) So we're going to have a whole load more starting in about three weeks, a whole load of first years. So um, yeah, no, I will be, I'll be absolutely, well, you know, we, I think Liz and I are keen to do another court case. I think it's become a successful platform mm-hmm. for court reporting. Yeah. We'll see if there's an appropriate one for us to follow. And uh, in the meantime, I'll get on with, uh, with teaching journalism. Well, Caroline, thank you for taking time out of your day to chat to us here. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Serena. Thanks, Caroline. That was Caroline Cheatham, co-host of the podcast, The Trial of Lucy Letby. That is available anywhere you get your podcast. Real people. Real opinions. Real Talk Radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Oh.